Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you with us this morning as we continue our study of the book of Isaiah. Today, we're actually not going to be in Isaiah so much, but I want us to see how Jesus takes what we studied yesterday and brings it forward and applies it in a very... um, uh, stern way with the uh, the Jewish leaders of his day. So if you weren't with us yesterday, uh, you might want to go back and check out that video and then uh, come back and uh, go through this one. So uh, one of the things that we have to do as Christians, we have to understand how much relationship there is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially the prophetic and it's important to get a, a better handle of the Old Testament, especially the prophets, as we read the Gospels, for instance, and the letters in the New Testament. That's why, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're spending so much time in Isaiah. And uh, so let me show you. We're going to walk through a little bit of um, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, there's a lot of uh, uh, familiar stories there probably to you. Jesus ter- uh, overturning the uh, the money changers. Uh, it starts off with him entering the city on the, uh, on the donkey, and there he quotes Zechariah, or Matthew quotes Zechariah and says this is to fulfill that. And again, that would be one of those places where when you see that, you should go back and look at the surrounding, look at that quote from Zechariah and look at the surrounding chapters uh, to see why does Matthew see this being applied to Jesus coming into Jerusalem and what are the uh, implications of that? Now, at one level, that's very obvious. It says your king will come to you on a colt and on a donkey's foal and and Jesus does, right? So that's, okay, that's obvious. But there's some things around that that are worth picturing, uh, pondering to see what is being portrayed here as Jesus enters in. Uh, so we have that and we have uh, some other interaction with Jesus and the, the Jewish leaders. But we're going to look here at a couple of uh, other sections in Matthew 21. So in verse 18, it says, Now in the morning... When he was returning to the city, he became hungry. So Jesus is hungry. He's going back to Jerusalem and he's hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Now, this is not about Isaiah, but I just, again, I want you to think about how to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament and vice versa. So Jesus is hungry and he sees this fig tree here. And there's only leaves on the fig tree. He expected there to be fruit. And he pronounces basically a curse, right? No longer will you bear any fruit and the fig tree at once withers. So you may look at that and say, well, Jesus just had a little little anger. <laughs> he's hungry. He's hangry. <laughs> right? he's, we know how that goes. We can get a little irritable when we are hungry and, and uh, need food. And maybe that's what happened here. No, that's not what's going on here. If you know the Old Testament, you know that there is an image that he is drawing from. And this plays out in, in front of the uh, disciples. Let me show you. This is from Jeremiah chapter 8. And again, Jeremiah chapter 8, it would behoove you to go back and read uh, earlier chapter 8, back to chapter 7, and read on into the end of chapter 8 and all that. We're not going to take the time today, 
but it's important to see the broader context of these statements and then see why the New Testament authors use them. So uh, Jeremiah 8 is very similar to what we've been seeing in Isaiah. God is calling out Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders especially, but really all the Jews living in Jerusalem of his day. Jeremiah uh, is prophesying in the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. Okay, so this is a little later than what we've been seeing in Isaiah, but it's in the thick of it. It's, it's the judgment of God is coming. And here's what God uh, says to the Jews there. Uh, good morning, grateful. Glad you're with us. Keith, good morning. Glad you're with us as well. Uh, God says, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. See what God's doing? You're scribes, you're, you're legal experts, those who are experts in the law. That's what scribes were. Uh, and they were the ones who continued to translate and, and, and write down the law of the Lord. You are making the law of the Lord into a lie. The wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So these scribes, these who are to be experts in God's law, the old covenant law, they've rejected it. That's a bad situation, isn't it? When your teachers have rejected the truth. We, we see this in our current context here in the U.S. We see this uh, is so often. You have, you have principles written down. Think of our constitution in, the, in America and, and uh, certain principles, and then those who are intended to be the communicators and the enforcers of that, right? Every, every politician in America takes this oath to protect the Constitution. But when they start using uh, the Constitution for something that's anti-constitutional or, or they just disregard the Constitution, they start feeding lies and all this, then everything is turned upside down because that, that document, that foundational principle is, is no longer the controlling factor. Well, that's what's happening with the Jews, with the law of the Lord. And uh, that's going to reap all kinds of horrible benefits for the Jews, obviously, because even more important than a Constitution, uh, but far more important is the Word of God. So what kind of wisdom do they have, God asks, if they reject the word of the Lord? Where are they going to go for what's wise? He says, therefore, I will give their wives to others. See, this is judgment. This is what's going to happen to these men who have done this. I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners. Because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. Now, again, if you've been with us, remember Isaiah prophesied 100 plus years prior to the fall of Jerusalem. Jeremiah is prophesying near the time of the fall of Jerusalem. They haven't learned anything, have they? These are all the things God was uh, calling them out on for a century or so prior. And here the priests, the prophets, the scribes, the leaders, uh, they're all greedy. They're power hungry. They are, they're teaching falsehood, they're sinning, uh, they're practicing deceit. It's, uh, it's just not good. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. These leaders are saying, no, no, the Lord is with us. All is fine. Don't worry about what you hear about Nebuchadnezzar preparing to come and, and attack us. No, no, it's not going to happen. God is with us. 
Peace. Shalom. Shalom. God says, there's no shalom for you. There's no peace. I am bringing judgment because of you leaders. And you leaders are, are lying to, uh, to my people. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? These scribes, these leaders, these priests, the prophets? Nope. They certainly were not ashamed and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time of their punishment. They shall be brought down, says the Lord. I will surely snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf will wither, and what I have given them will pass away. Do you see this? This is God saying, I'm going to take away the figs from the fig tree and the leaf will wither as a sign of God's wrath and judgment coming upon the Jews. So then Jesus shows up. He's walking along the way with his disciples. He comes to a fig tree and there's no fruit on it. And he makes this pronouncement. No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Do you see the connection? Jesus is not simply having an outburst of anger here because he's hungry. No, this is a, a parable of the state of the Jews in Jesus' day, which they would have understood. The disciples walking with him would have understood, at least later on, upon further uh, reflection, they would have known this. And here's how it finishes the story, and then we'll get to the, <laughs> the point that I was really trying to make. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all the things you ask in prayer, believing you'll receive. <clears throat> Excuse me, something in my throat here. So we could, there's more there than meets the eye. That's not simply a, a statement merely of faith, although it is that. <clears throat> but uh, we're going to move on because I want to get to Jesus' use of the, uh, the vineyard here. But uh, it's worth our time because as we, we just have to become better students of the scripture. Uh, people decry this all the time. Pastors decry this all the time. Christians are so woeful, woefully ignorant of the Bible. We, we just are. We don't know it. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, largely, it's because even preachers and teachers don't preach the Bible. They preach their system of theology. They preach their tradition. They preach commentaries and commentators and theologians instead of actually preaching the Bible and showing these associations and showing it's one story. Uh, both Testaments verify the other. Uh, you know, Augustine way back um, almost two millennia ago uh, said that the, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Uh, that's exactly right. And all these rich connections. And instead, what we're taught to do is read a couple of verses and ponder, how does this apply to me today? It's all about me. How do I apply this? How do I, how do I draw something from it now? Or how do I draw a theological conclusion where I can build this, this big system of theology? None of that is what we're supposed to do with the scripture. Uh, so I'm trying to show you, I'm trying to teach you how to uh, read the Bible. <clears throat> and the more you become familiar with uh, all these things, the, uh, the, the richer and the more accurate will be your, uh, 
your understanding. Again, I apologize. Something is in my throat here. All right, so uh, let's get into where I wanted to cover today. So he entered the temple, the chief priests, the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? All right, so the leaders of the Jews don't like what Jesus is doing. And they're saying, give an account. Uh, why do you think you're authorized? Jesus responds with this. I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things, right? So uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you can answer it, then I will answer your question. The baptism of John, was it, well, what source was it from? Was it from heaven or from men? So he just set them up because he knows them. He knows what they believe. He knows what they've been saying. He knows what's going on. He sets them up because there is no good way for them to answer this question. John, when he came baptizing, he said, everyone needs to repent and be baptized. If you recall earlier in Matthew, uh, the, the leaders of the Jews watched from afar as all of Judea was going out to, uh, to be baptized, but the, the, the leaders didn't want to be baptized. And uh, so Jesus knows this and he says, okay, when John came baptizing, did he come as a, as a messenger of heaven or did men send him? They began to reason among themselves, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? And why weren't you baptized? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. So they're stuck, right? This is a lose-lose for the Pharisees. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. <laughs> he also said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So you're trying to trap me. Well, I'm going to trap you. We'll just call it a stalemate here for a moment. But he goes on. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. Right? And he answered, I will not. So this first son says, nope, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. The man came to the second son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So you see the simple setup. One father says to his son, go work in the vineyard. The son says, nope. Or the first son says, I will. But he, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. First son said, no, but then he did go work in the vineyard. The second son said, I will go, but he didn't go. Jesus said, which of the two did the will of his father? And they answered the first, right? This first son's reaction was not great. Nope, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to do it. But then he changed his mind and he went. And that was obedience. He did go work the vineyard. Jesus said, truly, I say the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors, prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. So the point is, these prostitutes, these tax collectors, these quote-unquote sinners, these evil people in the minds of the Jews, which they were sinners. That's true. John the Baptist comes and says, repent, be baptized in the river, and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And they obeyed John. They lived their lives in sin, not doing the will of God. But then they heeded the, uh, the warning of John and did the will of God by being baptized and being prepared for the coming of Jesus. 
The Pharisees who claimed to obey God, the, the scribes, the leaders who claimed to submit to the will of God, John the Baptist shows up sent by God himself and they wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, so Jesus is, is calling them out. Uh, I see a comment here from Janice. Let me see here. Uh, to your point, I read a few days ago a Barna survey that said most pastors don't have a Bible worldview. That is true. That is so true. I saw a, uh, a meme going around, a, a picture of some church sign, and it said, uh, Jesus had two dads, and it worked out okay for him. You can imagine what, uh, what that quote-unquote church was uh, trying to say with that. And uh, they, will, they will reap the whirlwind for that uh, kind of thing. All right, so now let's get to the meat of it. And our time is quickly fleeing here, but it'll, it, it'll be okay. Uh, so Jesus says, then listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. All of that is just a direct quote from what we looked at yesterday from Isaiah 5. You remember Isaiah 5. God is using this parable of the vineyard to describe the Jews in Jerusalem. And he said, look, I, I planted a vineyard and I, I gave it every possible means of success. It was, it was set up. It was in a fertile soil area. I took all the rocks out. I put a hedge around it so that no one would come and trample it. And I gave it rain and sunshine and everything. I, I was so certain that it was going to produce fruit that I even built a huge wine vat prepared to, uh, to, to make wine out of the, the fruit and store it there. Uh, so Jesus is quoting that. And you remember how that parable in Isaiah 5 turned out. God says, I came expecting it to bear good fruit. He says, what more could I have done to equip it to bear good fruit? And instead, it was stink fruit. <laughs> it was worthless grapes. No good fruit from it. And then he pronounces judgment on Jerusalem and says, I'm going to uh, take that hedge away. I'm going to stop the rain and uh, my vineyard is going to be uprooted and destroyed, right? God's judgment is coming on Jerusalem for their sin, for their failure to bear fruit, for, for their failure to obey God. And this whole story so far in Matthew 21 has been pointing out the uh, failure of the Jews of Jesus' day to obey God. So he quotes from Isaiah 5, the vineyard. But now he expands on it, takes it up a notch. So the landowner planted the vineyard and all this, and he rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. So the owner of the vineyard rents out this vineyard that he has set up and protected and prepared it for fruit bearing, and he rents it out to some vine growers, and now he goes away for a while. So the owner's gone. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. Makes perfect sense, right? It's my vineyard. I'm the owner here. It's my vineyard, so I go away. But it comes harvest time. That's my vineyard, and I rent it out. But I am, I'm now calling on the, uh, those who are renting it to send me my earnings from it. I want some of the fruit of my vineyard. That's what the vine grower, or I mean, the owner is doing. The vine growers 
took his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. So it's not their vineyard. It's not the vine grower's vineyard. They're just renting it. But they don't want to give any of the fruit to the owner. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. I send my son, they will, they will honor him, and they will give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. This is the one who's going to inherit this vineyard. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So now Jesus asks the, uh, the leaders here of the Jews a, a question. When the owner of the vineyard comes, and he will come, what will he do to those vine growers? Well, the Jewish leaders, they're hard-hearted and evil, but they're not dumb, right? They get it. And they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Think about that. These Jewish leaders, they, they understand the right move by the, by the owner. They, they say he's going he's gonna to destroy those men, those, the, those wicked men that killed the slaves and then ultimately killed the son. And refuse to give the owner his right as the owner. So no, the vineyard, the uh, owner is going to come and wipe them all out, and then find new vine growers to rent out his vineyard to. New vine growers that will actually do what they should do and, and give him the profits. Pretty astounding, and probably you can see where this is going. Jesus said, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. Don't you understand? He's saying to these leaders of the Jews, you are those vine growers, those, that first group of vine growers. You are also prophesied about in Isaiah and, and the Psalms that God's going to lay a stone in Zion and the builders are going to reject that cornerstone and God's going to crush those who reject the cornerstone. That's, that's you. You should know this. You guys are experts in the Old Testament. Notice what, God, uh, what Jesus says here. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Just like they responded to the parable, the owner will take the vineyard away from them and give it to other vine growers. Jesus says, I will take, uh, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Jews, Jewish leaders, and given to a people producing the fruit of it. The kingdom of God was coming for the Jews. And now Jesus is saying it's going to be taken away from them to another people. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but whom, on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust, appealing to the stone uh, imagery that he just quoted. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking 
about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Uh, Let me go ahead and just read this next parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. Who's that? That's the Jews. And they were unwilling to come. And he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat and livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You see that what's going on here? Jesus has come to bring the kingdom or to bring the wedding feast to take Israel as, as his bride, so to speak. The Jews were invited to the wedding feast. It's ready. It's time. Jesus, I'm here. Remember, they had just, just said, behold, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Messiah is here. He's riding on the, on the colt, on the donkey. But what do the Jews do? They paid no attention, went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Uh, this we know from other statements as the apostles, the disciples early on that the, the Jews executed and tortured and pro- persecuted and so on. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's doing the same thing that God predicted in Isaiah. We know that Isaiah 5 and elsewhere pointed to 586. And Jesus here is saying the same thing is going to happen in his day to the city of Jerusalem. This, this gets into what we, we looked at in the previous series. If you were with us in the um, What About Israel series, Romans 9 through 11, and that led into the Olivet Discourse and Daniel and, and uh, other pr- predictions. Same, same thing Jesus is setting up here. Because of the, the Jewish wickedness and hard-heartedness and because they are going to kill... God's son, Jesus, Jesus says, the king will be enraged. He's going to send his armies, destroy those murderers, and set the city on fire. He warned them. Before, uh, 40 years before 70 AD, he warned them, uh, it's coming. It's coming on you. All right, I see a couple comes here. Grateful says, uh, judgment begins with the house for those who claim to be the house of God. I believe this is in progress on the world stage at this moment. Revelation is underway. Uh, whew. Um, there's no question judgment begins with the house of God. Uh, Peter says that very clearly. Revelation, uh, that's just, there's, there's so many interpretive questions there. So I, I would agree that God is constantly judging, refining, and it begins with, with his people. And I agree that that's happening now. Um, whether this is a fulfillment of revelation or not, well, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for a a larger discussion as we go. Uh, Dale says, when I think of Isaiah 5, Psalm 80, and Jesus' vineyard parables, it seems to feed into his claim to be the true vine, John 15, and what that means for our understanding of Romans 11 and whom we're grafted into. Um, so would you see there the uh, grafting of Romans 11 as grafting into Christ? So when, when Paul says there that uh, the Jews were the natural branches, but they've been broken off and the Gentiles, the wild branches have been grafted in. 
uh, Dale, would you see that as Christ or, you know, some, especially dispensationalists would say it's Abraham or Israel. Um, some would say uh, the church. I'm curious, which, uh, uh, as you put these things together, which of those um, in your mind seems to be uh, uh what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, all these things tie together. And again, this is why we have to keep reading the Bible and studying it and seeing these associations. There is a, a link between these for sure. And uh, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's not just grabbing a, uh, a metaphor, uh, an illustration, but there are overtones of, of a great many uh, images throughout woven throughout uh, the scripture and that's that's as we as we continue to read and and study and see these links again we see that it's one story it's one unified story and god just continues to tell this story using some of that repeated imagery and it's not always a direct quote and it's not always a direct fulfillment but uh and that's part of our our task as we as we study these things is to figure out is this a true fulfillment of that, or was that fulfilled elsewhere, but he's using similar terminology and imagery to communicate something here. All right, our time is uh, is running out. Uh, Dale, I don't know if you are actually typing out a response or if you thought I was asking you rhetorically. Um, either way, uh, great observation, and I think it's, uh, it's worth some time there. All right, folks, uh, have a great day. We will get back into Isaiah and look into chapter six tomorrow. Uh, rejoice in the Lord today. It's a good day. Keep reading the scripture and, uh, we Lord willing, we'll see each other again, uh, tomorrow. God bless.